Sagen Sie jetzt mal bitte A. Anarchie. 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 Ob geschichtlich oder brandaktuell. Mit Berichten und Interviews, mit Beiträgen und Collagen. Beleuchtet das anarchistische Radio Berlin das Phänomen des Anarchismus. Viva Anarchie! As the Anarchist Radio Berlin, we had another chance to talk to Maria, an anarchist from Minsk, Belarus, about the situation in the country. In this interview, we are getting a comprehensive update on the evolution of the protest, its tactics, both on the streets as well as digitally, and on the state repression and other attempts of counterinsurgency. So once again, we are talking with Maria from Minsk in Belarus. We had a talk at the end of August about the uprising in Belarus. And yeah, so now, th first of all, thanks again for taking the time to talk to us. And uh, yeah, we wanted to reach out again to get an update on the current situation in Belarus. So maybe you can start giving us a bit of an overview. What's what's the current situation? So it's been, I think, almost three months now since we didn't talk about it. And I think I will just uh, probably enumerate the the most visible developments and the most visible changes in the attitude from both the protesters and uh, the state, the attitude of the state towards it. So first of all, it should be mentioned that uh, the protests are still in, so to say, their peaceful manner. So people still adhere to protesting every Sunday. And if in the first month of protest, almost no one has been detained at the protests, later more and more people started to be detained right after the protest or even during the week, for example. So the police has changed the tactics and they started to create the atmosphere of fear. So basically, before people were afraid to be detained after the protest when they were leaving, uh, but it was uh, still fine because you know what you what you should expect, right? But then they decided to create the intimidation campaign. And what they started doing is they identified people. I think they were using a lot of surveillance techniques or video cameras. So they were actually not detaining people at the protest. They were recording them, uh, videotaping, and then, uh, or using pictures from the news medias. And then they were identifying people and coming to get them, for example, with three people three police officers, and that were people in plain cloths. So uh, people were detained right at the workplace or at the door of uh, the apartment they were living in. So they were trying to create the atmosphere that every person will get detained now or later, and uh, they will come for everyone. And I think actually it worked a little bit because a lot of people started feeling very unsafe because they were afraid to, especially those who were detained and then arrested, 
for administrative offenses. They were later afraid to leave the house because they were afraid that the cops would come for them. So I think they would probably detain maybe a few hundreds of people like that, and then people would spread the news that it happened to them, so the relative will start to be afraid, and then and so on and so on. So I think uh, actually it worked to some extent, and it prevented some people from joining the protests. Another tactics was that they um, started attacking the admins of local chats, so, like I said before in the previous recording, a lot of activity is organized and coordinated on Telegram, and people are organized in chats. And there are, yeah, of course, there are admins who are, um, yeah, who are just uh, looking um, what happens in the chat. And uh, sometimes it's uh, at the same time the active people, for example, in the neighborhood, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just people who created the chat uh, in the first place and then, uh, yeah, they're just uh, following news. But recently there have been a wave of arrests of people who they identify as admins. And at the moment they are creating, again, the atmosphere of they know everything, they know they will come for everyone. And basically what they're doing is they're now hijacking local neighborhood chats especially before the mass protests, so that trying to prevent people from coordinating and agreeing on where they will start protesting and where they would gather and so on. And in general, I would say that many people from the very beginning, they saw the protests as a form of, uh, I mean, when I say protests, I mean the mass uh, rally on Sundays when they would get thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. So many people were seeing it as a way of uh, therapy. Like basically, you come there, you see that there's a lot of people and you're happy to be together and you're happy to show your uh, dissatisfaction, but no more. Like people were not really going to demand anything and people were actually avoiding confrontation with the police. So whenever they see the police, they would turn instead of trying to provoke the police, for example, or to try to get through the chain of the police. And I think it was so successful because the first protests, the first rallies were actually not smashed or not dispersed by the police. And this is why many people considered it as a way of collective therapy. And as soon as it became more stressful rather than happy for them, so a lot of people stopped going. And I think uh, we can see now a decrease in uh, the participation in the rally. Still a lot of people are going, but the police tactics are now is to prevent people from uh, gathering in one spot by all means. And I think it's been two Sundays in a row where people got really demoralized and demotivated because they couldn't get together and there were a lot of people detained. And only last week, it was another experiment that they decided to make the um, not a centralized uh, rally, but rather tens of decentralized rallies starting from the neighborhoods. And it, I think it was a very nice experiment and people liked it because uh, instead of trying to be and meet together in one spot in the center of the city, a lot of people would uh, gather in their neighborhoods and then they would go together in one uh, river, in one flow of people and just march in their neighborhood or march towards the central part of their quarter, for example. And it happened in the whole Minsk. So the cops, yeah, they didn't know how to react. And it was, I think, for the first time when people started 
try, they were trying to not run away when they see the cops. So, and, and this was actually something that broke the mentality of cops because uh, suddenly people stop running away from them and people are standing and instead they are uh, defending those who are getting detained. So I think everybody liked last Sunday. And probably this Sunday is going to be the same tactics that people are going to, again, gather in their neighborhoods and march, trying to disperse the attention of cops and not and prevent them from being in one spot, uh, very, uh, like, very powerful and, and so on. But I expect that cops are also taking this week to plan accordingly. And most probably they would try to make some changes in, in their tactics in, in order to prevent people from gathering this time in the neighborhoods. Let's see what happens. Another problem that shook the society a few weeks ago, I think on the 12th of November, there was an announcement of the death of one protester. And it happened in a way that recently the authorities started to support uh, the creation of specific groups of people who would, with the assistance of police, come to the neighborhoods and destroy the symbols, uh, the protester symbols, or intervene with their meetings and so on. So that's like people who reside in Minsk, but who are supporters of the regime. And they are supported by the police in doing whatever they want. So including attacking protesters physically, attacking their neighbors physically. And that was exactly what happened. So there was uh, something happening in one neighborhood and people, they saw a few people who were destroying something in the yard. And one person, he left the house and he went to see what happening and trying to prevent them from doing it. And uh, there was a fight. And during this fight, they, uh, they detained him and gave, gave this guy to the police. And later this guy died, uh, the next day he died uh, because uh, he received uh, some injuries that are incompatible with uh, life. And of course, all these people are, were masked and uh, we don't know who, are, who were the cops who uh, hit him so hard that he couldn't survive. And basically this guy died uh, just because he went out to see what's happening in the yard. Is he, he like he died not even from a rubber bullet or from anything? So it was done by uh, by people who support the regime, and I think that was a big wave of uh, remorse and anger from the people. Uh, at the same time, it was very sad, and a lot of people uh, suddenly realized that they can be killed even in, in the yards, and nobody's going to take care of it, like nobody's going to be uh, punished. But at the same time, I think this moment was also a moment when a lot of people suddenly realized that they can't support the regime anymore, like, or they cannot participate in what's happening, like even if they worked somewhere. A lot of workers uh, for the moment are announcing strikes. And when I say a lot, uh, I don't mean that they are announcing strikes like in the whole, um, uh, like a collective action. 
it's happening more like an individual action, but it's uh, every day there is like three to five people who, who are announcing strikes individually on um, wherever they are working. And they are all demanding Lukashenko to go, to free the political prisoners and to stop the violence in the country and also to find out those who uh, produce the violence. And I don't know if it's, if it's really something that is influencing the state, but it's most probably it's just an individual action of people who cannot anymore uh, be part of it. But at the same time, it's also nice that people started doing it instead of just silently being dismissed. They are first, they are announcing the strikes. And on some factories, there are quite some people that have announced it including the railroad workers some of the some of the biggest factories uh, as well another uh, group that is uh, protesting a lot at the moment are the medical workers because uh, they were the first ones who started talking about violence and who started publishing information about real injuries that people had and the fact that the cops were threatening them for disclosing this information or for helping the protesters who were detained. And they were also the ones who disclosed the information about the guy that, uh, that was killed, the one that I was talking about. So at, at the moment, one doctor is actually detained uh, in the KGB prison for disclosing medical information that is supposed to be secret. And basically, uh, a lot of medical workers are now also, because they cannot call a strike, they are trying to make some solidarity actions. Uh, every day there is uh, some picture uh, about what's happening in, in some uh, hospitals. And uh, also with the new wave of COVID, these people are also under attack because they need to work uh, very long hours. And they started also to question the numbers that the authorities reveal to the uh, public. Uh, because, uh, of course, uh, like the other time, uh, the authorities claim that uh, it's under control and it's not uh, so uh, crazy as uh, in other countries, for example. But they leak some of the real numbers and it's evident that uh, the pandemic is here as well so i think yeah so this is numbers of of uh, cases of covid cases yeah numbers of cases or numbers of deaths and numbers of uh, or like the information about what's happening inside the covid hospitals and so on okay thanks a lot for all this condensed information last time You also, in the beginning you, of the uprising, you mentioned the importance of the protest also being spread out and not just being in Minsk, like it's been in the, the years before. How is the situation in like the rural areas now? Did the protest die down there because of the reasons that you mentioned, or is there still some also protests going on outside of Minsk? Unfortunately, it's almost, yeah, it's almost died down because the repression in the smaller cities is harsher. Like probably I talked about it before, that there's not so many people as in Minsk, so they're not so much concentrated. And the local cops uh, could uh, easily identify the people who are active. So at the moment, uh, in uh, there's hardly a, um, any city 
that has a Sunday rally, I mean, the provincial city. Um, so basically, many people probably even come to Minsk to protest. But there's always some information about a small solidarity protest happening here and there, or like a picture of people waving a flag or something like this. So people uh, are there, but they are afraid to show their activities openly. And I think, um, yeah, basically <laughs> it's, it's a little bit of controversy that uh, they are um, hoping that Minsk is going to change the situation and Minsk is always, I mean, Minsk residents are always saying that, hey, we need regions to actually take, uh, kind of take away some of the cops. The cops uh, are now concentrated in Minsk. And because the regions are not protesting and basically there is always a call for the regions to also rise up uh, if they can, but it's, it looks like it's not really happening. And in general, the neighbor, I, I would say that at the moment, the protest is fueled by the neighborhood movement. And in the regions, the neighborhood movement is probably not so widespread. So it didn't have t- enough time to, to form properly. And now it's really easy for the cops to smash it. Unlike in Minsk, where they try to smash the the neighborhoods and they are arresting a lot of musicians who come to support the neighborhood concerts or people who provide lectures, like everyone who is to some extent helpful, they got repressed. You mentioned this change in in tactics with uh, having more decentralized marches. And you also mentioned the repression in the digital organizational uh, part with telegram admins being repressed is there any change in this area too with the use of technology after now telegram admins got detained do you think there's any change there already that you can see I'm not sure. I think everybody still sticks to Telegram because it's, it's, it's combining the reading of news, exchanging information and chats. So basically, if you go to another messenger, you will not, you will still need Telegram to see what's happening because everybody is exchanging there. So for the moment, it's only information about how to protect your privacy on Telegram, like as much as you can, how to protect the admins, security and safety and so on. There's uh, been a few new apps that have developed that are now being tested. One of them is for monitoring the positions of cops and the position of crowds on the marches. And basically it works both with the internet, but whenever you don't have internet, they can send you some tokens uh, via SMS or by via Bluetooth. So basically people could uh, download the tokens and see exactly what's happening. But um, from what I heard is that it's a little bit not helpful so much with uh, when cops are moving very fast. Of course, they cannot produce so many tokens. So basically it's only helpful to see, for example, the blockades, for example, or where the crowds are situated and so on. So people are using some of the tactics but uh, at the moment it's basically people still use the phone connection because this is not switched off like every rally the mobile internet is switched off but uh, the mobile connection is not so this is how probably uh, there is someone always in the house using the uh, stable internet uh, like the landline and they look at the news and then they 
call somebody who is on the march to uh, to inform about what happens. I see. So since Monday, we are in the week of solidarity with anarchists and anti-fascists in Belarus. Can you say anything about this? So basically, I think in the last month, uh, there have been a big wave of repression against anarchists and there have been a few groups of people detained. So there were four people who are kind of labeled Belarusian partisans because they were detained in uh, a forest um, and they are now accused of possessing guns and to setting fire to some of the police or prosecutor's office uh, buildings in the regions. And these people are detained and uh, yeah, it's, it's been almost a month since they are in prison and they are now accused of terrorism. Another person, like a popular, locally popular blogger, uh, Nikolai Zadok, he has been detained 10, year, 10 days ago. And today he, uh, there was a, an article describing the way he was tortured because they wanted to get access to his computer. And so basically... He's facing another charge of organizing uh, mass riots or something like this. And more and more people are getting arrested for, for shorter time, like administrative offenses. And some people are not even getting released, like people spend 15 days in jail and they, and then they file another report on them, claiming that they participated in this or that, or that action. And some people spend about a month or more uh, under arrest. And also because uh, of because a lot of people are now ill or sick with COVID, uh, it also something that prevents people from participating, including anarchists. So I would say that it's becoming, just like for the whole society for anarchists, it's becoming more and more difficult to stay, uh, kind of to stay strong, to stay massive and numerous. And uh, this is why there's, yeah, there is a call for the week of solidarity and People could send, uh, could make some events or protests in support of anarchists and anti-fascists in Belarus, or they could uh, possibly send some money for the ABC. There is also another separate call that uh, I think is going to finish soon, in three days from from today. Uh, it's a campaign for of crowdfunding for some activist stuff uh, for anarchists in Belarus to support uh, their participation in in the protests because there's still a need for safe housing for some uh, places uh, that people where people could hide or uh, that people uh, could skip work or study to be still active in in the movement so it all needs money and basically people are also very welcome to donate Okay, thanks. The crowdfunding campaign you just mentioned is at Firefund. We will include all the links to the ABC and to Firefund. Um, are there other types of solidarity you can think of that you would like to see, for example, in Germany or other parts of, of the EU or the world? 
Well, I think in general there is a lot of people who potentially need to stay away from the country for some time or maybe forever because of the repression or because they just can't state emotionally or they cannot really survive four months of active protesting. So this is when sometimes people need safe housing somewhere else uh, in Europe, for example, or uh, they would need, uh, maybe they would need some help with getting an asylum or something like that. But um, unfortunately, this cannot be published. But in general, probably if you have this uh, such possibilities or you're interested in helping, probably it could also be contacted with the ABC Belarus and maybe there is some uh, support that you could provide. Okay. Thanks a lot. Is there any other topic you would like to touch on that we that I haven't asked? Well, not really. I I would just probably say that it's it's changing <laughs> like the situation is changing every day and sometimes you feel like it's over and sometimes you feel like the darkest time uh, are coming. The next day there is a nice thing that somebody is doing and people are getting motivated again and uh, it's actually not clear what's going to happen. It could be the same as what happened to Egypt, for example, or Venezuela, where the president just doesn't step out, <laughs> even with the population not having electricity or basic supplies. And it looks like this situation or this context could be possible for Belarus as well. At the same time, clearly, politically, we could see that they are trying, they're struggling for the attention for the media image to still kind of fuel their legitimacy and for the moment they are creating like a, basically a dialogue space uh, inside the country like an, the authorities are inviting people to get like they're inviting people to participate in a dialogue in order to create a kind of collective view on uh, how the country could be working. But of course, everybody in their minds <laughs> are boycotting it. And Lukashenko is now using some of the political prisoners that he released specifically for this campaign. So these people started supporting Lukashenko and playing, like pretending they are democratic figures who are now uh, talking and are involved in dialogue with uh, Lukashenko and they started talking about the constitutional reform and also releasing of political prisoners. But that could be a play again. So we, we never know what's going to happen. So it looks like, yeah, like I said, whenever people stop uh, the um, attack or like they stop protesting, the regime is going to swallow everything. And I think at the moment, everybody, like both sides understand that it's either them or the other side. And this is why this conflict is becoming more emotional and actually kind of more personal, because for a lot of cops, it's now becoming more personal. They want the Lukashenko to stay in power because they know that if he, he goes away, they're going to be all persecuted. And of course, cops then take this very seriously and very personally. So, um, yeah, let's see what happens. For the moment, it's not over. <laughs> it's a good point you mentioned uh, how 
like the instruments of repression are invested in keeping the regime going. In any case, uh, thanks so much. And yeah, lots of solidarity and energy to all of you and your comrades. And hope we can stay in touch and get new updates. And thanks. Okay, thank you. To support comrades in Belarus, visit abc-belarus.org or for the Firefund crowdfunding campaign running until the 27th of November 2020 at firefund.net/belarus. All links on our blog aradio-berlin.org.